I want to say a welcome to those of you who are watching us online or listening to this later in the week. Uh, whether you're local or maybe some of you are local and you're in tropical locations, we remember you today as well and ask that you not send us any pictures of where you're at. Um, I've been going through a little bit of a struggle recently because I've got a problem. Uh, the bakery and coffee shop where I so frequently buy peanut butter cookies has discontinued making them. I go to this place a fair bit. Some days I feel like I need a break from the office. I go and get in my car, pick up a couple of cookies, go for a drive around the river, enjoy them nibbling on them, and just get a little bit of a break. This is my treat. This is my drug of choice, peanut butter cookies. You can see them here on the screen. Uh, but I'm picky. If I go into the store and I look at the, in, the, in the window and I see the cookies on display there and I see that they're dry, they've been overcooked, and they're the kind, if I eat them as soon as I take a bite, they're going to turn into dust and be brittle and make a mess all over my shirt, uh, sh disclosing that I've not been working but eating cookies, uh, I don't want them. I want the soft ones. I want the ones that haven't been quite cooked long enough and that when you hold them in your hand, they kind of sag because they're moist. These are the cookies that I want. And when I go to the store, I say to the clerk, I want that one. I don't want that burnt one. I want that one. How many of you are that person? You go into a store and you are not ashamed to tell the person exactly which one you want. Oh, my people, I love it. This is what I do. If I go through the drive-thru, oh, yes. If I go through the drive-thru, I will say in the microphone, I want three peanut butter cookies. And I want the soft ones. I want the ones like that are not going to fall apart and break into a thousand pieces as soon as I bite into them. This is me. Now, some of you are judging me right now, and that's okay. But in my defense, I'm exercising the greatest gift that God has given to you and I. And that's the gift of choice. The power to choose. The power to choose what we like and what we love. Even in the Garden of Eden, the most perfect creative place. God placed a tree that would be our downfall because he wanted us to have the ability to choose. Which, when I'm standing in this bake shop looking at those cookies, pointing them out and asking for them by name, I feel like I'm in the Garden of Eden picking the good fruit. This is our God-given gift, to choose. And to choose not just what we like and not just what we want, but what we love. The choice that has the greatest impact on your life and mine is the choice of what you love. And each of us have the opportunity and the power to choose it for ourselves. Over these next few weeks, I'm really looking forward to this series. I realize in some cases we're going to be poking in some areas and dealing with some difficult topics. But the most foundational choice that you and I can make as disciples that will make the greatest difference in our lives is what we choose to love. What we choose to love. What will the center of our lives be? What will be the driving desire of our hearts? Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? <clears throat> A huge question asked to him by religious people. And I'm guessing they all maybe in their minds, I thought what he might say the most important commandment was. But he said this in Matthew 22, 37 and 38. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The first and the greatest, to love God with all 
that you are. Now, to his Jewish audience, they knew this verse. They were familiar with it because it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, where God is getting ready through Moses to prepare the people of Israel to enter into the promised land. And as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land after years of being nomads who wander through the wilderness and to take up residence and to become a nation, God gives them kind of a little orientation seminar and he runs through some rules that should capture who they are as his people. And the one that he says is most important, when you enter that land, when you set up shop, when you put away those tents and enter into houses, is do not forget to love the Lord your God with everything that you are. And Jesus, in shaping these disciples' lives, says to them, the most important commandment that you can have governing your life is what you choose to love. And choosing to love the Lord, your God. And when we hear that, it's tempting to just kind of let it cruise on by. Because it seems so intangible. How do we love the Lord our God with everything that we have? How can we know if we're doing it and if we're doing it well? Some of the things, some of the commandments we know if we're doing them. Thou shall not steal. We know if we're stealing. Thou shall not commit adultery. We know if we're committing adultery. But choosing to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul sometimes can be a little bit difficult to have clarity on. Although I hope that's not true after three weeks. But it starts with a choice. And each of us have been given the capacity to choose what it is we will love most in this life. And then to reinforce that choice through the habits that we choose. Because the habits that reinforce that choice are essential. And we know this because we are in the season of New Year's resolutions. How many of you have chosen New Year's resolutions? Raise your hands. Okay, like that's worse than the first service. Six people raised their hands in the first service. So either you're just killing it and living so well and you can't imagine life getting better. Anyways, this is very interesting to me. Okay, so no one here, but let's just imagine for a second you had signed up to do some kind of New Year's resolution. What you're saying is, my life as it is right now needs to change. So I need to change and choose a different way for myself. We evaluate our lives. We realize that some changes need to be made. And then we choose a different path. And choosing to want something new requires us to also change our habits. Our old habits led us to the life that we have now. And so in order to have a new life, we have to choose new habits. Let's imagine for a second you're this guy. And you will decide in the new year, I'm going to lose some weight by running. So you want to get healthy. You want to go outside more. You want to meet some people. You want to join a running group. So you exercise your God-given ability to choose a new way to make a resolution, which is great. But you don't own a pair of running shoes. You don't own any running gear. And if you've ever seen anybody run in blue jeans, you know it's an ugly thing. Your apartment includes this enormous lazy boy that sits in the middle of the room with a cup holder and a built-in fridge. And in the fridge are pop and chip dip. And you have a subscription to every streaming service available to you. So it's wonderful that you have made this choice but the rest of your life is out of sync with that choice. Meaning it's not enough just to choose what you want. You also need to change the habits of your life to reinforce this new decision. And this is where some of us are at with our faith. 
Sometimes we have made this choice to love God. We've made this choice to make him the priority of our lives, but the habits of our life are out of sync with that decision. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ is a powerful moment when the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, convicts us of sin, we see the beauty of Christ, and we experience the depth and height and width of his mercy towards us, and our hearts repent and we respond to him in faith. That's a beautiful, powerful moment, and we say, I'm going to follow you. Lord, I'm going to love you with everything that I have. But then we need to take the next step and reorient the habits of our lives to reinforce that decision. Because if we don't, our Christian life will struggle, we'll have difficulty finding traction, we'll be unfamiliar with the mercy and grace of God on a regular basis. Everything will always feel uphill for us. And loving God starts with a choice that you and I are able to make. This is the essence of what discipleship is all about. Discipleship says, you know what? The recliner's got to go. I got to buy some shoes. I got to buy one of those couch to 10K books. I got to get some running gear. I got to subscribe to a fitness app. I've got to find some people that run and hang out with them. Discipleship is the hard work and the heavy lifting of aligning the habits of my life with my choice to love God. And I'm hoping this series will be helpful for you. So let's turn today to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at this wonderful story where Jesus um, has this powerful, life-changing conversation with a Samaritan woman. It's on page 1651, if you're following along in the Bibles in the seat in front of you, or you can look it up electronically as well. John chapter 4, and we're going to start reading at verse 4. I'll read a little bit and make a few comments and on and on. John chapter 4, verse 4. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Now, Jesus starts this story by telling us this woman, she's got a secret. It's a secret that everybody knows about, but she's still trying to keep it a secret. She's going to the well at a time when no one else is there. This is the person who goes to the gym or goes to Tim's or goes to the grocery store at a time when they hope they will not run into anybody who might know them. She has secrets that everybody knows about. And Jesus and his disciples happen, happen to be going through this region. And when she arrives at the well, Jesus is there exhausted. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's not carrying one around those 20-gallon Yeti jugs full of water. He's got no water. He's exhausted from his journey. And he breaks a couple of social norms by asking Jesus, or by when Jesus asks her for a drink. He, he, he broaches the gender divide. Men and women did not interact this way in public. And the ethnic divide. Jews did not speak to Samaritans, and they certainly didn't drink from water bottles that Samaritans had touched. But Jesus has never been really good at following social norms. And he's relentless, and so he continues. Now, we've been talking about loving God, and I want to say to you this morning 
that any love that you have for the Lord will always be a response to his love for you first. Notice in this passage, this woman shows up thinking she's just going to get water, but Jesus is there to make it abundantly clear to her that he loves her. And he has come to that point to meet with her and to see her life be changed. As we talk about love for God, let's not be fooled at all and remember the fact that the Lord first loves us. Let's keep reading, starting at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I don't know if you're one of those people who feels comfortable underlining in your Bibles, but that is a verse worth underlining and spending some time thinking about. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will come in and spring up a a water well, welling to eternal life. Jesus shows his cards. If you knew the gift, if you knew why I've come to meet you here today, If you knew what I have in store for you, and if you knew not just that, but who I was, who the one was that has come to meet with you. I think about the power of that as we read our scriptures, as we gather here for worship today. If we only knew what the gift that God has for each and every one of us here this morning, tomorrow when we wake up and spend time in scripture, the next day when we wake up, if we knew the gifts that God has for each and every one of us, and that they come from his very heart to us. What a difference it would make. And Jesus comes to this woman because he wants her to know, I want you to know the gifts that I have for you. Now, if you watch Jesus carefully in his ministry and watch how he engages people, he often asks them this question, what do you want because he knows if you really want to know to get if you really want to get to know someone if you really want to discover who they really really are you don't ask them what they know and you don't ask them what they believe you ask them what do you want what do you want most what is it that you really really love beneath the exterior of our lives? What is the animating center of your life? What is the engine that runs under the hood of your heart? What is it fueled by? What shapes your decisions and shapes your behaviors and shapes your pursuits? What are you moved by? What moves you off the couch and gets you moving forward? Do you know what you want more than anything else? This is the question. This is the question that I want you to wrestle with this week. Not the external answer, not maybe the quick answer. Think about it a little bit. What do you want more than anything else? What drives your life? And if you're not sure, which is fair, here's the follow-up question. What always wins? 
if when you've got two competing desires in your life, which is the one that almost always wins? It almost always triumphs. It almost always comes out on top. Back to our guy sitting in the recliner. He's got a desire to be comfortable and kind of have an easy life, and he's got a desire to get in shape. Those two are competing desires. Which one wins? When it comes to you around money, you've got, I want to save money or I want to spend money. Which one wins? Eating healthy or just being able to eat whatever you want? Which one wins? What's the thing that the attitude, the behavior, the action that comes out on top again and again and again? Because it tells us something about what we want most. Our actions will always tell, give, give, show our hand and tell others what it is that we want most. And if we truly want to change, if we truly want to experience the freedom of Christ, if we truly want to see God bless our lives and we really feel moved like we're walking in his power, then we have to be able to get to the heart level and say, Lord, I want to love you more than anything else. But here's my two or three competing interests. Here are the two or three things that are vying for lordship of my life. Here are the two or three things that I'm in constant struggle with. Knowing that could be a game changer for each and every one of us. Now, I realize I'm asking you to go to some difficult places, maybe some personal spaces, but again, this is the beginning. Jesus calls us to love him with all that we are, and we cannot do that without asking these very questions. Let's keep reading verse 15. The woman said to him after he talked about living water, welling up to eternal life, sir, give me this water so they won't get thirsty and have to keep drawing water here. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, when I read this initial response of the woman when she hears about the invitation for living water and she says, give me this water, the preacher in me says, Jesus, she's ready. Call the choir, sing just as I am. Open up the altar, let her come down. Lay hands on her. This woman is ready. Your job is done. Wrap it up. Let's get this thing sealed. But Jesus wants to go deeper. He wants to go deeper into her life. Jesus wants to deal with the real desires of this woman's heart. And so he moves right past her comment. And in a less than subtle statement he says go call your husband and come back you know jesus is very guilty of sometimes not leaving well enough alone that if we just kind of show him an inch he will step into that door because he loves us too much to leave us as we are it's kind of like if we go back to the image of the guy in the recliner. Jesus shows up and knocks on the apartment door and says, Hey, I'm here. Let's go for a 10K jog. And he knows you're still sitting in the recliner and you've not even opened the box of the new running shoes that you purchased. Jesus loves this woman too much to let her continue chasing after things that will never satisfy the God-shaped hole in her heart. <laughs> 
And he affirms her statement, what you've said is true. You've just revealed something so true about your life. Whether she knows it or not, she's revealed the engine that drives her, the thing that is keep moving her forward, that shapes her decisions and shapes her behaviors and shapes how she feels about herself. Maybe it's companionship. Maybe it's love. I don't know what it is. Those are all wonderful things. Beautiful, beautiful things. But they're never meant to shape the God-shaped hole in our hearts. No spouse or child or job or amount of money can ever bear the weight of that expectation. And they were never created to. And now that Jesus has broken through the surface, he gently gets her to open up what's really going on in her heart. Because he loves her and he has a gift for her. Living waters that would well up in her. And so the question I want to ask you is what is it that you want most? What is it that's going on beneath the surface of your heart and your life? What's the driving desire? And I invite you to take some time to think about it this week. Let's see how this story ends, verse 27. Then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. We've talked about the barriers that Jesus was crossing here. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, just think of the imagery of that. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, some of you were too young to remember this, um, but there was a time in our city and other places as well uh, where there was a strong division between Catholics and Protestants. Thankfully, uh, that is waning. Uh, but if you uh, went to a Baptist church, they may have talked about Catholics, and if you went to a Catholic church, they may have talked about Baptists, kind of like Jews and Samaritans. They'd kind of agreed not to get along. In St. John, we had Protestant schools, and we had Catholic schools, and if you were a Baptist boy in the 1950s, and you brought home a Catholic girl, mom and dad were going to have a conversation with you, and probably vice versa. This went on for a long time. Well, one day, an older Catholic businessman here in St. John, who I'd known quite well and grew up in those days and remembered those days quite well, uh, came into my office. We'd worked together a fair bit. We were good friends. And uh, he came into my office with this manila envelope. He laid it down on my desk and he said, Rob, I have photo proof. If there's a picture in that envelope that's not going to be very good for you. And he turned around and he walked out of the office. Hmm. So I stood there and I picked up this envelope that said Pastor Nylon on it. And I slowly opened it up because I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to see. And I was curious. And I opened it up and I saw a picture inside of it that 50 years ago probably would have gotten me fired. It's this picture here. This is a picture of me and the Bishop of St. John of the Catholic Church, Robert Harris. Uh, quite enjoying a lovely conversation at a lovely breakfast that we shared together at a Kiwanis event here in St. John. Can you imagine having a conversation with someone? With someone who knows everything that might be in your envelope? A conversation with someone that probes into the deepest parts of who you are, revealing to you the deepest desires of your heart 
and revealing to you what you really want more than anything else in life. And that response is so life-giving and so freeing that you leave behind the jar and you go into town and you get the people that you were ashamed to be involved with or see and you bring them with you so that they can meet the one who told you everything you ever did with your life. This woman had tasted the living waters. She'd received the gift and the one who came to give it to her. And her heart was changed, not by an argument about what mountain to worship on, but that God would come to her first and enter into her life. He shows up tired and thirsty. He enters her conversation on her level, and he gently helps her speak about the very secrets of her heart, and he offers her mercy. He offers her living water, living water that will not leave her or divorce her or fire her or betray her. And this is the experience with Jesus. A transformation takes place at the heart level about what she wants most. I'm going to invite the team to come back up at this time as we get ready to conclude here. Over these next number of weeks, I want us to be thinking about this invitation of Jesus that the most important, the first and the greatest commandment for each and every one of us to wrestle with is that we would exercise the God-given power that we have to choose what we love. That's the question I want you to wrestle with today. Will you accept this invitation to choose God as the one that you love? We all get to have that choice. Would you choose to love him and everything that comes with that? To have this experience where you get to meet Jesus who comes and tells you everything you ever did and it's good news for you. This is the gift We're going to close today by singing an older song that I've asked the team to do for us, giving you opportunity and giving you space to do just that and to express your desire to choose to love God with all that you are.